Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. And Lord, would that be true for us even here tonight? that we would sing your praises in the midst of our life, wherever we come in tonight. No matter what we've been going through today or this week or as summer's starting off or what it looks like or relationships or family or circumstances, God, I pray that you would give us a posture of praise despite what we would face. Lord, I pray now that your word would do its work as it would not return void and you would be with us for the next few moments. We pray this in your name. Amen. You can take a seat. Uh, if you're getting your Bible, you're going to want to grab that and turn to First uh, Samuel chapter four. First Samuel chapter four. If you don't have one, or if you're kind of new, uh, it's all going to be on the screen as always. Um, just before I get started, a few things. Uh, if you do, I, I don't know if you ever pray for me or pray for my wife. Um, how many of you get nervous for big exams? Raise your hand. You just get terrified. You crap your pants, lose sleep. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow, uh, I have the fr- uh, a, a very big exam, probably the biggest one I've ever had in my life. Uh, I haven't had a big exam or big test in a long time, so I'm kind of rough around the edges. And so tomorrow is very mon- is monumental for me and my wife. And so uh, if you would pray for us, pray for me. Uh, that as the chips fall where they may, that we would trust God and we would, uh, you know, either way, just, I can't share details, but anyway, in the future I will. Just pray for us. Uh, We love you guys. Anyway, pray for you guys and no matter what happens. But um, we are tonight talking about this idea of regardless of outcomes and how you should fight. If you're new here tonight or you're new kind of to this series, uh, we've been four weeks. Jonathan, don't let me forget, tonight we'll post the first one from the first series in Fight Club. But we've been in this series called Fight Club and how you should fight in some sense for your relationship with God, how you should fight for your friends and have your friends fight for you. And last week we talked about the spiritual fights. Again, I feel terrible. If it was your first time, I think I preached 52 minutes. And so that was fun, but I was absolutely exhausted. It felt good to get it all out, and then at the end, I walked away, and there was probably six things I didn't get to talk about, and I was like, when should I bring that up? Should I bring it up tonight? I'm not going to bring it up tonight, maybe later, but anyway, about that I didn't talk about the spiritual realm and how Satan and how we should respond and oppression and victory and uh, anyway, casting out demons and all that stuff, but not tonight. Tonight, what we are going to talk about is how you should fight regardless of outcomes, And the reason I want to talk about that tonight is I wanted to preach this passage uh, a few months ago. And and it always happens where there'll be a a certain time where we'll go through a series and then we'll pick one and say, hey, let's talk about this. Or maybe it's here, it's on Sunday morning. And I wanted to pick this one. And I remember I was with two other pastors and I said, hey, we need to talk about 1 Samuel 4. And the natural response as a pastor when you bring up 1 Samuel 4 is like, eh, I'd rather not. Just, just would rather not, and the reason you would rather not is because it, th- that sometimes there is a bad ending to the story, and there's a bad ending to some Bible characters and their story, and sometimes there's a bad ending to your story, and you don't know how to categorize it. You don't know how to embrace it. You don't know what to do with it. You don't know how to deal with it, and sometimes in Christian circles and as pastors and Bible teachers, we can give you tons of tons of absolutes 
that if you do certain things, God will do X, Y, and Z. And when you come, we want to encourage you. Always. That's what we want to do. And we, want, we want to teach God's word. And there are Christian absolutes. You can just pull them up for me. Uh, things that we would teach or talk about that are for sure that this is going to happen. If, in, in Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess your sin, that you're a sinner, and you call out to God for salvation through Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That's an absolute, that if you cry out to God, he will hear you and save you. Uh, wisdom, the Bible says if you're lacking in wisdom, if you're in a situation, you have no idea what to do. People aren't helping you, you know, uh, parents aren't helping you, the Bible might not be helping you, you're like, I need wisdom. The Bible says if you call out for wisdom, God will give it to you abundantly. That's a promise. It says in Proverbs 2 that those who call out to God to fear him, that he will answer them, that he will respond to you. Sometimes Some of you think that God is silent, he doesn't listen to you, he doesn't care about your circumstances or your situation. That's a lie. He does, and when you call out, he will answer. It says in Matthew 11 that if you're weary, if you're tired, if you're just struggling, if you need rest, not just, not physical rest, but spiritual rest for your soul. If you call out to him, he will answer. That's a promise we can give. It says in Jeremiah 33, 3, it says that if you call out to God in prayer, he will answer. It's a guarantee fact that happens in the Bible. Now, we could talk about how he answers and what it looks like. But if you call out to God, he will answer. And then grace. If you need grace... Anybody need grace? Shoot, yeah. I mean, I am IV hooked up, addicted. I mean, catch me on the street, burnout on grace. I mean, we need it. So it says in James, you guys were, did not see that IV. Uh, if, if you, it says in James 4, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you and give you more grace than you can handle. He just pours it out on you and gives you more than you can take. Now, this stuff is sweet. I like this stuff. I could preach this stuff all night. I could stay here for two hours talking about this stuff. But what about, what about when life does not go as you planned, your plans change, you followed God, and you felt like he left you out to dry. You felt like God did not answer me, or he answered me too late. I already made the decision, I already signed the contract, I already picked the job, I already went to the school, I already got too far in the relationship, now what do I do? What, what happens? Because as people, we like pragmatics. We know that stuff. A plus B equals C. One plus two, oh, no math, man, I tried you. Yeah, you're like four. Uh, so you, uh, I went to Magador, sorry, confession, every night, I'm dumb, I went to Magador. Uh, that, that we like pragmatics. Now, I'm going to use the biggest word I've used in 2021. <clears throat> it's called moralistic therapeutic deism. That's a big word, but here's what this means. Here's what this means. It means that you go to God. You go to God. Not because you want God. You want his stuff. You don't want him. 
You'll come to church because you'll rub the jar and hopefully something good will happen. You don't want to read your Bible for God. You want to hopefully do something so then God will give you something. You don't want to tithe and honor God with your money and be a good steward. You want to give so God would give you something back. You don't want to uh, honor God in your relationships and be pure because you think that God would honor that. You want to do that because maybe you would get something in return. That you not you, you don't love God or maybe I don't love God, but I manipulate him to get what I really want. What I would like that if I follow God in these seasons, he has to bring me a spouse. If I follow God in these seasons, he has to answer me in this way. If I follow God in these seasons, he has to show up in my college situation where he would, he would use me in a mighty way. Now, this is where it gets so tricky because there is, I mean, when, when, and, and all of you would know what a life hack is, right? A life hack is something simple that makes life a little bit easier, um, anyone want to shout out what a life hack would be? What's your favorite life hack or your favorite app? Favorite app that you would have? What's an app that has made life a little bit easier? Quizlet? Yes, that sounds awesome. I would use that in school every single day. Uh, you can cheat on that. What other apps would you like? Remi- without the reminder, I lose my job. That's a guaranteed fact. Uh, anyone else? Apps or life hacks that you like? Maps. Without maps, I can't get home tonight. Uh, in actual reality. I mean, I'm like, that big road up there. My dad's like, 77? Yeah, yeah, that big one. Uh, yeah, maps, there's certain things that are life hacks. And when we have certain life hacks, which the Bible does have, for relationships, for decision-making, for uh, career decisions, or anything you're facing, there are certain life hacks. But sometimes... We want a life hack when sometimes God just does things that God does and we don't have an answer for it. We don't have an answer for it. I got people blowing up my phone asking me about COVID. What did God do here? I, I, I can give some answers, but I don't have this pragmatic, well, this is what happened and this is what happened and this is what happened. I got people m- messing up my phone. Why did I not get this job? I, I honored God. I did this. I did everything that God told me to do, and he didn't show up. So what do you do when God lets you down? What do you do if he's let you down? And you're right in the middle of it, and you're like, now what? So tonight, for some of you, this is just going to be all preparation. This is going to be putting stuff in the file for if and when God does not answer. And for some of you, it might even be right now. So the first point tonight is who are you fighting? Who are you fighting? It says in 1 Samuel 4, 1, the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. Now real quick, the only thing you need to know about Philistines and Israelites, you have the good guys and you have the bad guys. Uh, I didn't know anything about Philistines growing up. The only thing I knew is my dad would tell me, Michael, <clears throat> don't marry a Philistine. Who's a Philistine, dad? It's the girls that'll trip you up. And little did he know, I was the one that was a Philistine. But anyway, you have the Philistines and you have the Israelites. You have the good guys, you have the bad guys. These are, uh, the Israelites would be God's people. 
It would be God's people that he would speak to, he would communicate to. The Philistines are not God's people. They have what would be called little g God. They had the God of the sun, the God of the moon, the God of sex, the God of infertility. They had the God of money. They, had the, they would worship these little g gods, that same, same thing we do today, in order to try and get something from them, but they didn't really want God. You have these two battles going on, this battle about to take place. The only reason they're fighting is just like every history lesson you've ever learned, what do they want? They want land. Right? They want a certain amount of land and territory, big respect game. You know, who's going to get this territory? Who's going to get this? They're, they're going to battle. The word of the Lord comes, and they go to battle. And here's the question you have to ask. Who are you fighting, and are you fighting the right kind of battle? If you are not fighting the right kind of battle, and if your battle is not the battle that God wants you to fight, you will, get, you will lose, and you will embarrass yourself, and you will get mad at God. Prime example is in Acts 19. Acts 19 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. You have this, you have this, uh, these, these guys who are demonic exorcists that they would show up and they would cast demons out of people. Kind of, I want to talk about that last week, couldn't? Anyway, uh, they, they would show up and cast demons out of people. And when they would, um, one of the times they said, I know of Jesus, we've heard of Paul, but who are you? And they're having this conversation. They're going to battle. The, uh, Paul shows up, and these guys literally get, it says, beaten naked and ran away. So the principle is, if you get your pants ripped off and you run away, you lost. You're 0-1. I mean, matter of fact. And they were fighting the wrong kind of battle against God. We've said every single week, <clears throat> when you fight against God, you lose 10 days out of 10. You lose if you fight God in your relationship with him, you lose. If you fight God in your relationship with the person that you're trying to pursue a relationship without God, you lose. If you fight God in choosing a career path, you will lose. And when they go to battle, it was a word from the Lord and it was from God. If, God is, if you are in a battle or if you are choosing something that God is not behind, it's a little embarrassing the only way I could think to illustrate this, as I said, I went to Mogador. We had like three people in my senior class and um, big football town. All we did was football. And my mom knew nothing of sports. I mean, nothing, nothing. God bless her heart. She didn't miss a game, didn't miss stuff. And she's cheering, yelling. And I'll never forget, it was like, I think it was a sophomore. It was on a Friday night and we were playing basketball. And I don't even know if I made the shot or someone else made the shot, but someone made a three-pointer, and my mom screams, screams from the stands, touchdown! Everyone got, like, literally, no one even cheered for the point. Everyone just looked, and my mom was like, what? Touchdown! And she's like, like, you're not even in the right sport. It's embarrassing, and now I'm like, I'm hiding. I'm like, Mom, it's three-pointer. She's like, oh, same thing. You know, uh, just, it, it's embarrassing. She's rooting for the wrong thing, fighting for the wrong thing. When you are fighting for the wrong things, you will, it, it's hard to know when the emotions are high. Make sense? Emotions are high. You're right in the midst of it. You're, you know, you have tons of wisdom and experience. You're 20 years old. You've had so many decisions you've made. You've killed it uh, all of your life. And, and then someone gives you some insight, and you're like, they're stupid. They don't know me. And you, you're right in the middle of it. It's hard. And you, here's, the, here's the only thing I would say. The only thing to confirm you're fighting the right kind of battle would be God's word and God's people. 
if they're affirming this is the right kind of fight. Number two, where do you go to win? The Philistines drew up in line against Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. I want you to set yourself in the scene. Literally just watching it, kind of like you show up to a movie. And when you watch, you have the good guys, you have the bad guys. Some of you have got a nine-pound bag of popcorn. You're sitting there. It's got three pounds of butter. You're, you know, eating everything. You've got your huge Coke, and you're watching. Everything's focused in on this fighting battle, and you're hooked. You're watching. You've got the good guys, bad guys. You know the history lesson. You know what they're fighting for. You're starting to see things pop up, and you're glued. And the good guys lose. 4,000 is pretty significant. 4,000 is a lot. 4,000 is not just a punch in the gut. It's like that's probably half of our, our key guys. I mean, I mean, 4,000 is not just something to just skim by. They were defeated. Why would the good guys lose? I thought God sent them, and I thought God was on their side. I thought when God was with you, you always win. I thought when God was with you, you never struggle with defeat. You never struggle with depression. You never struggle with anxiety. You never struggle with a jobless situation. You never struggle. You fill in the blank. I thought when God was on your side, they're, do, they're, they're in a battle that God is promoting. God is, is for them in this battle. Now, why would they lose? It, it, it shows us. It says, and when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? See, when you have a right perspective of God, you don't attribute a victory to the person who's defeating you. You attribute power to where it's due. They lose a battle and they're like, why would God allow us to lose? You don't lose a battle and they say, the, the Philistines defeated us because they have the knowledge God is, and this is tricky, God is in control and sovereign over all circumstances while allowing you to make decisions. Why would God allow this? Why would God allow so much pain? So they're asking a good question. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Oh, the box. Forgot about the box. The Ark of the Covenant, I'm not, I'm not going to show you a picture and give you its dimensions. I don't think that's going to get us anywhere tonight. It, it, all it does is, it, all, all it means is this. Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of God's presence. They would keep the Ten Commandments in the Ark of the Covenant. It would stay in a special place, a special location. It was proof that when you had the Ark, some of you remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah, yeah, Some of you know, yeah, yeah, watch it. It's a great movie and melting the faces off and everything. Uh, they, so, so they're sitting there. And it's very wise. They said, oh my gosh, who's got the box? We went to war without our lucky charm. We, we went to war without our, our Bible, in a sense. We went to war without the Spirit of God. We went to war without the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is a symbol of God is with you. So these wise, very wise elders, leaders, people are like, someone go get the box from Shiloh. Someone, someone go get that sucker because we got, we got to go fight. They don't give up the first time they lose. No, they go back in to battle. And here's the problem, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. They are seeking power from something that is not God, but rather his stuff. 
They're not saying, go get the Ark of the Covenant so God is with us. They're saying, go get the Ark of the Covenant so it would save us. And a lot of us do this. You're struggling. I'm not going to beat you up tonight. I promise. I want to encourage you. You're struggling. I should probably go to church. You're struggling. I should probably, I mean, it says, it says we should, should read our Bibles. I should, I should read my Bible. I should read my Bible. I've been struggling. It says I should pray. I, sh- I, sh- I should pray. So I'll pray. I'll pray. I'll pray. And I'm not coming to church. I'm not praying. I'm not reading my Bible. I'm not opening up to someone so that I would get God regardless of the outcome. I want saved from the power of my enemies. It's a good motive. In some sense, it's a very good motive. It says in John 5, 39 and 40, the Pharisees would do this stuff all the time. And Jesus said this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is that they bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. If you read your Bible, if you come to church, if you sing songs, if you raise your hand, if you're, uh, you would pray to God, all in effort, all in effort to use God and not get more of him and not love him. God is so gracious and loving, he'll give you that thing and you will still lose and not get God. Where is your confidence? Pull up the last slide for me, Sydney. Where is your confidence? Or where do you, yeah, where, where is it? Where do you place it? And here's the question I want you to ask yourself tonight. Only you can answer this. When life just starts to suck. It just, I mean, there's nothing good about it. You're depressed, you're sad, your expectations are lost, you don't know what to do next, someone sold you out, you're losing trust in people, God help us, you're losing trust in a leader, God help us, you're losing trust in your parents, and and you start to make what, what I call inner vows that are not biblical vows. I'll never open up again. I'll never go to that type of place again. I'll never talk to Christians ever again because someone did something stupid. Someone sold me out. So you make an inner vow. And now you have put confidence in how much you can control. When you fall, when you make a, a very big mistake, when you, when you make bad decisions, where do you go to, to soothe yourself in any way? how much you can manage, how much you can control, how many knots you can tie over here, how many you can just keep it locked in. You'll, you'll never say anything ever again. You'll never open up ever again. You'll never be yourself ever again around those type of people because they'll hurt you. Where, where do you go and where do you put your confidence in? I said it last week, Psalm 121.1. I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so often we would rather, we would rather say, God, I can't trust you anymore. I can't trust you. You've let me down. I can't trust you here. So now I'll give you 40%. I'll give you 30%. I'll give you 80%, whatever it is. God, I'll give you a certain amount. And if you prove trustworthy with the 60, I'll give you all of my life. I'll give you 100%. And God don't play games like that. He wants 
He wants all of you. He wants all of you. He wants your, where do you go for confidence? And you know, you know where you go for confidence and what brings you contentment and what brings you joy or happiness. You know where you go. You know where you look and you know where you're going to look. Number three, where is your confidence? Four and five. So the people sent out to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant. So get the box of the Lord of hosts who is enthroned on a cherub. And the two sons of Eli. So these guys are important, Hophni and Phinehas. You can't pronounce those names unless you use the Bible app. Where they, seriously, I was like, uh, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And as soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel gave a mighty shout, so the earth resounded. This is, this is a sweet scene. If you can imagine these two brothers of Eli, who's the leader of Israel, Hophni and Phinehas, these guys are carrying this box back into battle and when it says all of the earth resounded, I mean, there is, I mean, estimated, I mean, there could be around 200,000 people just on Israel's side. I mean, let alone Philistines, there is a mighty shout of victory for the Israelites. They, they've already won. They're like, we were missing, the, the, we had the, the missing piece, we went and got it. Someone went and got God. Someone went and got him because now when we have God, we can win against the power. Like I said, it's so hard because it's the motive that you, that is, that's hard for you to discern sometimes. Is it you? Is it the devil? Or is it God? Who's the one in this? Who's the one calling you? Who's the one affirming this is my selfish motive? Who, it's so hard to discern that. It's so hard. And here's what we would like to do. Because we're just, we're arrogant people. With our three-pound brain, mine's probably two, seven. Three-pound brain. You want to put God into a box to where you can wrap your mind around him, you can use him, you can manipulate him, you can get God to serve you. You can get him to serve you. And when we put God in a box, it was G.K. Chesterton said something along the lines, when you try to take your brain into heaven, your brain splits. But rather, when heaven comes down to your mind and you just worship it, it's where God enters. That you would not go to God to use him, but rather you would just submit and worship. That we often like to put him into this this, this mind of ours, and we like to wrap our mind around it, and, and as illustrated with the Ark of the Covenant, you put him in a box. I'll just get my lucky charm. I'll just shake it a few times, and God will do his thing. I'll just, I'll do this, and God will do his thing. And a quick, if, if you have your Bible, if you want to read it later, I would. First uh, uh, Samuel 2, 12 to 28, gives this history lesson of Hophni and Phinehas. And the real reason why these suckers lose is Hophni and Phinehas are these guys are screwing up. They're, they are the, the leaders of this. The father is Eli, and they are committing some extreme sexual sin, and they've been confronted on it multiple times. They've been confronted on it from their dad. Their dad's been confronted on it from other people, and they've decided to do this. They pick up the rug, sweep it under the rug. Not a big deal. Everyone does it. Ah, everyone this age does that. 
They just, they take the sexual sin, they sweep it under the rug, and they'll say, it's not a big deal. As long as we have God, it doesn't matter. He, he's, he's a, I mean, he's a God of love. He don't care about sin. He's a God of mercy and grace. He don't care about that stuff. Come on. Get the box, get God, and we will win. It doesn't matter what I do. God is, it says in Exodus 34, 6, it explains the character of God. He is loving, gracious, merciful, abounding in steadfast love. When you come to God, he gives you more grace than you can handle. He gives you more mercy than you can comprehend. But he also, he also wants to confront all of us and say, hey, quit trying to use me without dealing with the things in your life. Don't come to me for confidence. Don't come to me for victory. And we got something to talk about, and you keep sweeping it under the rug, and I am not a God who is mocked. You will reap what you sow, it says in Galatians 6. Number four, what reputation does God have through you? And when the Philistines heard the noise of the great shouting, they said, now this is what the Philistines did. What did this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? So they're asking questions. And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid. And they said, a God, lower G, has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. How sorry for us. Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? Is there another? Yes. These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews and as they have been to you. Be men and fight. Come on. I'm like, I feel like this is sweet. You have the Philistines, Israelites, they're bringing the box, great shouting. The Philistines are like, oh no, we've heard about the box. We've heard about the Egyptians and the plagues. And, and here's what I would like to say. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt of this. And here's the question, application I have. When they show up with God, the enemy is like, oh no, we're screwed. That is the reputation that they have. That is the reputation that God has working through them. And I wonder, I wonder, what type of reputation do you have or do I have when I go to God and what the enemy would know? Oh shoot, he started to pray. You're like, pray? Oh no, he started confessing his sin. We're screwed. Oh no, he started to take the Bible seriously. We're in trouble. Oh no, he started to to actually not just pray, but he is praying. Oh no. What would the reputation be of us or of you? What would our reputation Oh no, they actually started to worship. We're screwed. What and they are I mean, they're saying be men and fight. They're saying, "Hey, we're going to lose." We've not heard about this God. They got this big box. They're marching down. They're cheering. Their confidence is seen clear as day, and we are in some serious trouble. I mean, this is, this is incredible. This is incredible to imagine. Put yourself in the Israelite shoes. You've done a few things wrong. Nothing crazy, right? You haven't, I want to say killed anyone, but they have. You haven't, uh, you haven't done anything too bad, right? You're like, I keep Ten Commandments, whatever them things are. I don't know what they are, but I keep them. Uh, you haven't done anything too bad or too wrong, or you haven't gone too far. You know people who are way worse than you. I mean, you're like, I'm better than them. You see my campus? They're crazy. 
You saw this one girl, I mean, she's, I, she's one of the leaders, or he's one of the leaders. I saw what they did, I heard what, and you're like, I'm better than them. And you start to do majority morality where you're like, I'm better than them. And you have a good reputation with who you're fighting against. But still in this process, you're getting God to use God, not because you want to love God. And I want to wrap this up, and I want to be careful how I say wrap up, because wrap up means like 10 minutes. Number five is this last one, and it's what I don't have a good answer for. I just don't have one. So the Israelites fought, or the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. I thought they had God. I thought they had the box. I thought they did A plus B equals C. I thought they went to church. I thought they, they, I thought they had the right relationship. I thought they had the right religion. I thought they had... It says, and they fled in every man to his home, and there was a very great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas died. What a terrible ending. It doesn't get better for the Israelites, it gets worse. It gets worse for the Philistines as they take the Ark of the Covenant. And as a pastor, a lot of times what we like to do is just slap Romans 8.28 on a situation. God works all things together for good for those who love him. He'll work it out for good. And it doesn't change the way I feel about a situation. It doesn't change the way I feel about losing. It doesn't change the way I feel about Anxiety doesn't change the way I feel about people crying out to God, but God not answering. It doesn't change the way I feel about cancer. It doesn't change the way I feel about a sickness a family member is going through. It doesn't, it doesn't change the way I feel about it. I don't, I don't have a tremendous answer for any of this. And in the midst of trying to use God, they don't get God or his stuff. They don't get his presence or his blessing. It talks about in Revelation 2 and 3, there's stories of seven churches, and a lot of the times he's warning them of removing his blessing or his lampstand. And when you lose God's blessing, you can't get it unless you go to God. When God puts out a fire, you can't bring it back to life unless God decides to do it. When he takes his blessing from a relationship, a situation, it is very, it, you cannot muster up the peace, you can't muster up the strength unless God decides and you go to God and get right with God because we don't try to have better religion, we're using God for that, but we go to him for the relationship. And the two principles here are for this, for Israel, don't try to use God without knowing God. Some of you have done this most of your life. Maybe you were in, and it was pure motives. You were in your car, you cried out to God, you asked him for help, you prayed a three-second prayer, which was all you knew how to do. And he didn't show up. You tried to use God without knowing God. Some of us do this on a regular basis. It's when you come home every summer, it's when you get around certain people, you'll try to use God without truly knowing God. And when we do that, we are trying to manipulate someone who cannot be manipulated. We're just masters at it in relationships. We put contingencies and contracts to reveal. 
and God's not in that. And the lesson for the Philistines, don't confuse a victory of God's approval. Sometimes with, in, a, in a culture, in a day and age, where we view victories as masses of people, how many people will show up, how many people will march, how many people will chant, how many people will get a t-shirt, how many people will do this, we assume masses of people as a, as a victory from God. We, we, God must be in this because it, uh, it appears to be a victory. Look at, look at what God is doing. And they confuse, they confuse a victory that God is not in. I mean, the story for the Philistines in chapter 5, chapter 6, they get annihilated just by having the ark. They just got the box in the backyard. And they're getting eat up, ate up, whatever, eat up. <laughs> they're, they're, getting, they're getting messed up. And so here's what is true for some of you. You will view God's blessing as you are saved. You have God's blessing. It says in Titus 2 that God, his good grace is, is to all men. So you'll get a job, you'll make a lot of money, you'll have a good-looking spouse, and you'll say, man, God has to be in this. Look at this, he's been blessing me. You'll look at certain, you, you'll look at other people, and you'll say, well, I don't struggle with this, or I don't struggle with this. You'll confuse, a lot of people do, you'll confuse God's blessing, meaning you have right relationship with God. And that, that could not be further from the truth. God does bless but you don't take the results and say, that must be true for everybody. That is true for me. I, it, it, depending on how much money someone makes or, or you know, what opportunities they have, what type of people they have, don't confuse victories or blessings just because you have them and say, God must be in that. Victories do come from Christ and they do come through the Lord. And sometimes, sometimes this side of heaven, we don't know what those are. I don't know why God would put you through a terrible situation. I don't know why A plus B, I don't know why God would allow me to experience something that is terrible and something I would rather escape. I don't know why God would do that. And I, yet I have to embrace. And as, it, for, for us in our generation, our culture, we, we need answers, I need results, I want something pragmatic, I want something simple, tear it down and help it, help me, help it to be easy for me to understand in my mind. And sometimes the only answer I have from God is, you lost, and I want you to trust me. You lost. It wasn't what you thought it would be. It didn't look how you thought. 21 doesn't look how you thought like 21 would look. 23 doesn't look like how you thought it would look. It doesn't look like how you thought it would look, and I want you to trust me. I'm doing something in you, but it's not what you think it is. And for the Israelites, it was clear as day because for, for us, it's 20-20 it's vision. We can look back and we can say, oh, it was the sin in the camp. It was they, they refused to, to deal with the stuff that was under the rug. And sometimes I'm like, there's nothing under the rug. I just lost. There's nothing under the rug. I just don't have an answer for it. There's nothing under the rug. I just can't help them find peace. There's nothing. I don't know. And, and so for us, we have to come to God and say, what do you want from me? What do you want? Next slide is the, later on in the chapter. It's chapter 4. Go to the next slide. 21, it says this. She named the child, and this is Phineas's son, saying, named the child Ichabod, saying, the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured. She said, 
The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Go back to the previous slide. Is God's glory safe with me, regardless of the outcome? No matter what your situation is, your fight is, your fight could be spiritual, it could be emotional, it could be relational, whatever your fight is, as we wrap this series up, is God's glory safe with you regardless of the outcome? Ichabod means the glory of God has departed, it's left. We no longer can represent him, he's gone. Regardless of what your fight looks like. The Philistines lost and they would lose God's glory because the presence of God had departed. If you lose your battle, are you able to say, my reputation with God and God's glory is safe with me no matter what this looks like? If, if I can't put it in a box, if I can't explain it pragmatically, I will still praise God and worship him for what he is worth, not because he has delivered me, but because he is worth it regardless of what I've went through. Psalm 13 is probably my top two favorite, top three's favorite psalms. David says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider me and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice over me because I am shaken. Just stop for a second. Sometimes you live in that for a period of time, a season. Not just a, not just a day, not just a couple weeks. Sometimes that's a season. And I'm here to tell you, for a lot of you, it's oh okay to know that that is a season and you don't like it. It's okay. You are not alone. You are not the only one who would be going through that type of season. David, one of the man, I mean, one of the most prevailing men of God, a man after God's own heart, says, lest I sleep the sleep of death. I want to slap that boy in the face. Seriously, I'm like, look how God has used you. Look what he's done through you. Look how he's used victories through you. Look how he's spoken through you. And yet he's He's depressed. How long, O oh Lord? How long would you allow this? And then he says this, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your, your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. It is all perspective. Sometimes you're in the weeds and all you see is your situation. You see your next step, your next, next two steps. Sometimes you got to pull up and say, what is, what is happening here? It's not just right now. It's not just May. It's not just June. It's not just this summer. What does God do? What could God be doing? And can I trust his steadfast love? Can I trust him and not just trust God, pie in the sky, big, can't understand him, but trust his heart. Trust his heart in his intentions. And I'm going to follow God the best I know how and, to sum and submit to him the best I can. Let me pray for you guys. Lord, we thank you for tonight. God, we thank you for the story in 1 Samuel 4, um, even as it can seem and feel to be a downer. I think that 
Um, as a Bible teacher, it's the call to be faithful and to know that sometimes there's not these clear, legitimate answers that we can wrap our minds around, but we're just called to trust you. God, would you help all of us to have the right perspective? God, if for some of us, we resonate with that story, there's sin in the camp, maybe in our own lives, and we've swept it under the rug, and it might be why we're losing and we're, we're not really understanding anything, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you just prick those hearts right now and help give the courage to have follow-up conversations and to deal with that. And God, for those who would say, man, I got nothing going on that is wrong, that I know of. I've asked God to reveal it. I'm, I'm doing all the things I, I know how to do. I'm just not getting from God what I want. They're good desires. They're, they're right desires, but I still feel like, man, why would God not answer? Why would he not show up? And God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you are the comforter. Would you comfort in a way only like you can? Would you help us to learn to trust the steadfast love of the Lord, that you are good and you have good intentions with us. God, would you help all of us, myself including, not to use you, not to, to just man, try to manipulate you, but rather not just try to do religious deeds to get the right results, but just to show up to have the relationship with you. God, we thank you for the Bible, how it guides us. We thank you for tonight that we get to be here. And Lord, I pray that you would bless all of us on our way out of here tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.